Sorry about that. Welcome, welcome to the first episode of Novel Ideas. Um, I am Michael, and my co-host is... Andrea. Today, um, we're going to be talking about Harry Potter and its movie adaption. Um, that's what this podcast is about. That's what we're going to be doing from here on out, is talking about movies and their, the books and their film adaption. We're going to start with the first Harry Potter book, and... The way we want to do it is talk about pros, talk about cons, cover that with the movie as well, and then how well they relate, how well they each convey their message. We're not necessarily book purists. Nah, fuck movies. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck them and their beautiful soundtracks. We hate them. I hate watching movies because it's always beautiful people, and when I'm reading a book, you know, they can just be as ugly as me, and it's not a big deal. (laughs) Good point. Well, we can talk about adaptational attractiveness later on with this. It'll be mm-hmm. accurate. All right, so pros of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, not Philosopher's Stone, because we're on the correct side of the Atlantic. No, I actually personally hate that it's Sorcerer's Stone, because Philosopher's Stone's actually a thing in mythology. It does make sense. Okay, I understand, but I'm never a nationalist, so I have to show down when I can. But this isn't nationalism. This is, like, history of, like, literature and, like... It's let's change the author's original intended idea just for kicks. (laughs) She wrote the whole thing, but we have final say on the editing, so... First off, like, I mean, I think I mentioned this to you before, but sort of when it comes to the book, like, the first half is phenomenal. The writing for it, the way it's structured, and um, the way she describes things... Right is fantastic but for some reason once you get to hogwarts which um it's about 100 page I, I i guess it's maybe less than half but once you get to hogwarts jk rowling becomes less descriptive which is a real shame because you know we're now kind of in a world where we don't know anything it was mostly the muggle world and then a little bit of the wizard world with like diagon alley but now it's right. just like full-blown them at a castle and it's wizard shit going on so it's just it, I, it was noticeable at, as an adult now that the writing seemed not as well done once it got to Hogwarts. The first half leading up to Hogwarts was phenomenal. I loved reading it. The first couple chapters are some of the best writing. Things just sort of changed. I have a theory that she wrote the Hogwarts stuff first and then wrote the other stuff later. That makes sense. Well, the first chapter specifically is really quirky and i think the fact that she knows when to keep the book silly is a big strength of her writing and that first chapter is just you know part of she does this kind of trolling the normal where uncle vernon is such a square and he is so shocked by anything abnormal and there's a lot of humor injected just from the start, and I do agree that first chapter is really brilliant. I also realize it's the only time we do get the Dursley point of view, and it's interesting that they're the ones that we start off with. But yeah, there's just a lot of really fun details, like Aunt Petunia has a long neck to spy on her neighbors, and even at before we get to Hogwarts, we've got you know fun things like the swarming letters out of the fireplace and it's just really visual and I can see why as a child I fell in love with it but that is still keeping me going now as an adult I was shocked by how readable it still was and it didn't feel too childish I agree the writing could have been more complex at some points but it was still just such a fun read oh yeah it's fantastic that silliness I just w- wish kept going, and she does it a little bit in Hogwarts, but it's mostly noticeable in the first couple chapters and the Dursleys. I forgot how shitty they were. <laughs> God, it's been so long since I've read these books. It's weird. As a child, you realize this is a really sad existence, but as an adult, you're like, this is kind of child abuse, if not definitely. Oh, no, it's definitely child abuse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a shame, but... Another thing I realized, she's doing a thing where she's employing an outsider point of view, which is always very smart when you're revealing a whole world, and Harry 
is us because he's experiencing the wizarding world all at once with us. Right. I will say there are also some cons in how she chose to handle this because I guess we're supposed to talk about pros first, but we can interject either one throughout because we are the podcast hosts. Yeah, but we do what we want. <laughs> a big con to me was, you know, Harry is trying to find platform nine and three quarters and he sees the Weasleys and they're also having a dialogue about where is it? Oh yeah, it's platform nine and three quarters. And you'd think for a wizarding family that's done this before, you could definitely tell that dialogue was service for us, but it wouldn't right. make sense for them to not know where to go. Yeah, that's yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's a good point. And then also when we get to Hogwarts, Ron is so confused about sorting as well. And I understand that's building up our suspense of, ooh, what happens and is it scary? But again, even if his brothers are trolling him, you'd think his parents would have talked about the sorting hat at some point and what the whole process is like because that's the way it's been done forever. Well... I, I will say as a kid, even if someone talks about something it's and then you're about to go through it as well, it's a bit scary. Plus also I think for Ron as a character, he was just scared of not being a part of Gryffindor, which is where his entire family went. Do we want to t- talk about the sorting hat? Because I had to have a lot of thoughts about the sorting hat scene just in general. Oh, by all means, go ahead. <laughs> I don't want to... All right. One... In the movie, that is the most boring fucking scene ever. The shots are just bad. Two, what is it? I think the sorting hat sings a song. It doesn't really work. Yeah. I tried figuring out the cadence of it, and maybe, I mean, maybe it's just, you know, its own little thing. It just felt off. I have no issues with authors putting in songs and things like that. I mean, J.R.R. Tolkien did a lot of that, and I like a lot of the songs that he put in. But for some reason, the Sorting Hat song didn't seem to work. And I know the Hogwarts school anthem, I guess is what it would be, is supposed to be, you know, you you do it in your own tune. So I guess that one just kind of just works, however. It didn't. That one's definitely rougher. At least the Hogwarts one, it's cute and it's funny, and you can at least kind of say it aloud and it sounds right, but... Yeah, there, there's mm-hmm. definitely roughness to the Sorting Hat song. Yeah, so I think back on a point, talk, are, are we, I guess we kind of just jumped into both the book and the movie at the same time, so and, and pros and cons at the same time. I guess this is just <laughs> the easiest way for me to at least talk about it. Um, just sort of jumping around a little bit, hopefully not too much. That's fine. But, um, it was interesting to me in uh, in the book versus the movie. In, in the book, Draco is the first wizarding kid we meet. He meets him. He meets Harry at Ollivander's, and Harry already yeah. has like a bit of a disliking. But we don't really. Well, they meet when they're getting fitted for their robes. Yeah, and so it's. I, I personally wish the movie did that too, because. You don't meet Malfoy until right before they go into the Great Hall for the Sorting Hat. And it almost feels a little forced in the movie, just sort of because it's like all off the bat. Him being like a snot-nosed kid, his, his nose in the air, and Ron sort of making a comment about how his name's Draco Malfoy, and then him talking shit about the Weasleys and whatnot, and trying to come off better than him. But I th- believe in the book we meet draco like twice before and maybe it's only that one time when they're getting their robes fit and then it might be when they're on the train that he meets draco i can't remember in the book but it just felt weird placement in the movie having draco do his whole spiel right before they go to the sorting hat that was definitely rushed i thought and I agree. I mean, I think certain things were a bit rushed. I wish weren't, which is odd because I was so surprised this was a two hour and 40 minute movie. Um, I always thought these first movies were shorter, but I feel like there's still things they could have shown that wouldn't have taken up more time. But overall, I mean, I think it did do a good job and I don't dislike this movie at all. I also wish, for example, they had the scene where Draco challenges him to a duel and because there's more wandering around the castle before they find the mirror and Fluffy whereas that all happens pretty quickly 
And also, we don't show the scene where they're actually giving Norbert to Charlie. And I have to mention that it was very nice as a young person from Romania to have an author talk about Romania in a way that wasn't really bad, where it's like, oh, this cool person's there studying dragons. And you're like, oh, thank God, you're not talking about how shitty my country is. (laughs) I can somewhat understand why they didn't do all of the, you know, hiding around the only way they could really do that is if they cut down on certain scenes specifically i i decided to look how long the quidditch scene was in the film first off i always as a kid loved the quidditch stuff and i still enjoy it it's fun just watching them doing their wizarding sport but um that scene goes on for 10 minutes just the quidditch which could have been shorter i think it seemed like they did stuff to extend that scene for example, uh, what is it? They have the the bludgers um, hit Woods, the keeper, and like knock him out, which I don't think happens, and which yeah. don't, which I'm pretty sure didn't happen in the book. The all the fouling, a lot of that was added in again to just. I, I think the books are definitely bad at this. And speaking of sorting, I didn't mention this, but I think it's really dumb. The sorting itself just seems to cause a weird prejudice and kind of clickiness to the school. And Slytherins are just really judged immediately for being Slytherin, which seems kind of nonsensical to me, considering you don't have to be bad if you're in Slytherin. So I'm confused about that. But yeah, it was. I think the movie was just trying to really harp on Slytherin bad, Gryffindor good. And so they had an excessive amount of fouling and sneering and... That guy with the big teeth, of course he's a Slytherin because he looks bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like the obvious characters are going to be Slytherin. The Sorting Hat puts the children into pretty much the wrong places. I mean, Hermione should have definitely been Ravenclaw. And really, Ron should have been like a Hufflepuff. And there's like other characters that just feel like they, based on like how they act that they should be in other places. I mean, why the fuck is Neville in Gryffindor? I mean, sure, he stands up at the end. I guess maybe the Sorting Hat sees sees us for who we really are deep down. Well, I'm going to disagree with you here because I think, ultimately, this has kind of been brought up in the books, but even if it hasn't, my interpretation has always been that even if you have other traits, if... I think it speaks to J.K. Rowling saying all of us at least, or a lot of us deep down want to be brave people. And it's because of what qualities you actually place stock on. So Hermione is smart, but she really admires the fact that Harry's really brave and she wants to be more like that. She can be intelligent, but also really want to be a brave person. And I think for me, that's part of it. You know, Ron is a loyal friend, but above all, I mean, they... This is future books, obviously, but they're the ones that sign themselves up to go with Harry because despite any of their other qualities, they want to be there for him during a really trying time. And so for me, that makes more sense. Okay. And I'm okay with it, but I do know what you mean. I think for a magical school, you could come up with something probably a little less divisive than just placing people in houses. No, they like segregating people. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah, Hogwarts is not about inclusivity. They're, they're all about, you know, segregating people. Um, which I think... It's like, it's like looking back at a film made in 2001. And uh, it was interesting, like, how many... How pretty much the entire... Ca- I mean, the entire cast is all white people. Um, which is, I guess, fine in, in a way, maybe, I guess. But, I mean, there are certain, ca- like, the, the Indian chick they never show ever in the movie, <laughs> even though she has a couple parts in the book. And then, um, I forget. Uh, you mean Parvati? Yeah, yeah. Her and yeah, I, she's only useful when Harry needs a date in the fourth movie. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's the only time they show her in the films. Maybe they show her in the background somewhere, but she definitely... I think I definitely remember her in the background of the third movie. She just didn't really speak, I think. Gotcha. Yeah, I... Because she definitely wasn't in this one, and um, 
Is it Seamus that's the black kid? I can't remember which one's. Um, but I mean, at oh, least. No, Seamus blows things up. Dean Thomas. Yes, Dean Thomas. Um, yeah, at least he was in the film, but he only had, like, I think one speaking part. And I think, if I remember correctly, there was a couple speaking parts that they sort of. that he had in the book that they kind of just gave to Ron. I guess. Yes. It's. So they did. Yeah, and it's sort of a shame because, you know, it's. Uh, the movies make it so focused on just Harry, Ron, and Harry that. <laughs> wait, I just say Harry, Ron, and Harry. Uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but True. It's, it's, it sort of doesn't ever show too much of the other kids. I guess it shows Neville some and Draco some, but, like, you don't really well, get... Well, actually, a good point to that is it's supposed to be Harry and Hermione getting caught when they're delivering Norbert, and then Neville, I think, was out trying to warn them, and he gets caught with them. Right. So it's really those three that go into the Forbidden Forest, but in the movie, they wanted to have more showtime of the main three, so that's when they have Ron be the person that was with them when they got in trouble. Yep. And then they, uh, I mean, I get why they shortened that scene, sort of, because what is it? It's like, at first, it's Harry, Harry, Hermione, and Hagrid go together, and it's Neville and Malfoy, and, uh, I'm blanking on the Fang. dog's name. Fang? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. They go together, and then Malfoy's apparently pulling some shit, freaking out, uh, freaking out Neville. And then they <laughs> end up switching. Which is so her. apropos as well. No, I know. I love it. I love that, actually. And I kind of wish that was in the film, but I can understand why they didn't. And, yeah, that's the thing. Like, they took out a lot of the silliness later on, like Peeves. The fact that Peeves is missing is one of my biggest gripes because Peeves is literally just there to be funny and to interject humor. And just the fact that he's always messing with people. I mean, it would just be just randomly out of nowhere. I mean, and be a lot of other little details like when they were all outside and the Weasley twins and their friend were tickling the giant squid that lives in the lake. It was just really interesting shit like that where you're like that would have been kind of fascinating i'm sure they don't want to blow a cg budget on a couple of seconds of these kids tickling a squid but honestly that would have been a good use of the cgi budget because there's a couple of times where they did cgi and it's just a little it's pretty bad i mean some of it holds up but other ones are just really bad like ron and harry are late to the to professor mcgonagall's class and she transforms right. f- from the cat to McGonagall and it's just really bad CGI that cat jump and I'm just like oof that does not look good that does not look <laughs> that good it pro- it might have looked good then I'm not sure but it uh it was it was pretty rough I mean it's still pretty cool though and that's you know your introduction to her I in mean more depth, it but. is cool but we also do know she transforms and I like I actually prefer the way she transforms in the beginning of the film where it just it shows a shadow and it it's sort of it shows it that way and I like that because it your mind creates a little bit of the illusion with it. Well, but it makes sense to do that at the beginning where you still don't know what you're getting into, and then when Harry and Ron and Ron arrive, it's fun to have it happen that way because I think it's more of a shock to them, and you couldn't really show their shocked faces if you didn't have a full-on shot like that. Right. Or it wouldn't have worked as well. I don't know. I, I see what they were going for. And I mean, um, the technical things for, considering what, it's now like a 20-year-old movie or so. Yeah. Um, no, it's almost I want to grab on them too much, but <laughs> holy crap, it's so old. Um, but, oh, one fun thing I learned forever ago, and it, I always thought it was so cool, is that the dining hall in Hogwarts is based on the one at Oxford University in England. Oh, that's cool. And... Yeah, and underneath, the students have a wine cellar with a full selection they can access, and you actually order your food off of a menu, which, come on, that's dope. (laughs) That is pretty dope. That reminds me of, uh, in Brown University, they have a whole bar underneath it. I used to, and I, since I didn't go to Brown University, I had to buy a membership, but it was totally worth it because they had the cheapest alcohol there. It was great. It was like <laughs> it was hidden underground. Cool bar. Good old uh, what? What was it called? Grad 
Grad Bar Center? It was GBC, I think. Grad Bar Center? Something like that. Anyways, um, another thing, I did in the in the first book. Did it mention that Harry's father was a seeker as well? No. And what's funny is when they zoom in on the little shield that has his father's initials next to him, there's one that says M. McGonagall. So my friend and I are sitting there wondering, holy crap, was McGonagall a Quidditch player? Because that would be so cool. No, she definitely was. I wonder what position she played. I'm going with Bludger. That's what I was hoping for. I mean, the amount of shade she throws, it makes so much sense that she'd be actually flinging angry balls at people. Speaking of Quidditch and broomsticks and all that jazz, um, the scene where Draco steals the Remember All from Neville when they're first learning to fly, they, yeah. uh, in the book, Draco really isn't that great of a flyer. And it sort of is supposed to show that he's just a cocky piece of shit and is not as great as he thinks he is. But in the movie, they make him like do like a cool like somersault thing and sort of make him seem like a pretty damn good flyer and it's a bit of a shame because it brings his character down a little bit not being as great and harry also mentions in the book that draco isn't as powerful now that he doesn't have crab and goyle with him and so mm -hmm. draco realizes that and that's why he throws the ball uh, and it's a I, I think that's a great character thing in the book that isn't in the movie and, but you know they have their reasons for doing things they wanted to have a crazy weird CGI scene with Neville crashing over and over again into the building so yeah that was a bit overdone yeah well yeah. it's weird so I remember that in the book Madame Hooch tells Draco he's been doing it wrong all his life but then also when they get up in the air Harry is saying Draco is very steady on his broom and I don't know if that was just as compared to how Harry felt because he wasn't used to it um, mm. but I do know what you mean because they again see they have kind of changed the character from being you know Draco's just in insecure and he acts out but in the book he's just kind of an evil kid and he's okay. very kind of suave about it um yeah so i definitely see that change and i did want to say about quidditch one thing i really preferred in the book is when they had lee jordan do the announcing because it was really funny and oh, then yeah. in the movie it's kind of very straightforward and i guess they had all of their instead of having the humor of, you know, Lee Jordan saying that that player Angela was really attractive and all of that and how grossly Slytherin fouled them and apologizing to McGonagall over and over again, they just kind of supplanted that with a lot of drama of fouling Slytherins, and I don't think that was an improvement. I agree. There's a lot of humor in the books or humor and, like, absurdity that is in the book that got left out in the movie. And it's a real shame. Um, for example, and this might, I, it's been so long since I've seen these movies and it's been so long since I've read these books, but I forgot how silly Dumbledore is. Yes, for sure. And in the movies, it's, and at least with this first one, and I'm pretty sure later on, like Dumbledore is played so serious, like just like an old man, but really, he's supposed to be, like, this fun guy, almost carefree, but he turns out to also be really wise and know exactly what he's doing. And maybe his carefreeness is because he knows what he's doing. But in the movies, he's just so damn serious, and it's a bit of a shame. Yeah, I would have liked... I mean, it's a small detail because we don't get so much time with Dumbledore yet, but just starting off the feast with Nitwit, Blubber, Oddment, Tweak... That would have been great. And that would have just let you know who he is straight off the bat. But instead, they have him get all of his serious announcements at the top of it. And then that's it. What is it? I think he's supposed to be drunk at one of the... He's supposed to be drunk and wearing a flower crown. Um, oh, for one Christmas. Of the, yeah, I for think. the Christmas scene. And he's just supposed to be kind of like just a silly, ridiculous guy that you don't really think should be 
the headmaster, but he is, and because it's kind of like in comparison to how serious the professors are, at least McGonagall and Snape. Um, well, and even but, that, at the Christmas feast, Hagrid was supposed to be kind of tipsy, and he kissed McGonagall's cheek, and she was like blushing and laughing. So all the professors were kind of made more human through these small moments. Um, but yeah, they're just these stern characters in the movies. Right. So, Alan Rickman, goddamn, that guy is, that guy did Snape so well. So well. Yes. And the voice, I mean, I would just have Alan Rickman read me anything before bed Mr. at Potter. night. <laughs> um, although I have my own feelings on Snape, we'll delve into at a later date, but... Okay. It's a, I mean, he's a great character. I think he's been so romanticized to the point where I think it's gone too far the other way, but we can discuss that later. I know there's got to be a bunch of uh, Rule 34 drawings of Snape looking super sexy. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, Teenage Snape was very My Chemical Romance and Pleather, I bet. Oh, so I want to tackle... The end. Right? We're going through our lovely little puzzles to get to the stone. And I'm going to kind of talk about... There's a YouTube channel that, of course, I'm blanking on right now, but I will mention at some point. And they had a very good point about adaptational attractiveness and how with Hermione, it's not that big of a deal because it doesn't really change her character. It doesn't matter much how Hermione looked for who she is as a person, except, you know, in the fourth book, it speaks more to Crumb that he's not just going after an objectively very attractive girl, but that he does appreciate Hermione before other people do, just as a potential romantic interest. One issue people do have, though, is that Hermione seems to be more infallible in the movies, and you do see it with the first one. I actually think they did her a service and a disservice, because, for example, when they're getting stuck in the devil's snare. In the book, there's no calming down to get out of it. They're just all tangled and she's trying to think through a solution. And she starts to say the rhyme and she says, it hates the sun, but she says, but there's no fire. And Ron says, well, aren't you a witch? And she goes, duh. And then she, you know, has some light coming out of her wand. And then in the movie, she just tells everyone to calm down her and Harry disentangle from the plant, they land below, and then Ron's still freaking out, and then she's like, oh, duh, it doesn't like sun, and she goes ahead and does the spell. So they kind of made her seem a bit more savvy in a situation, and I actually think that's one of the ways Hermione is very human, and even though she's clever, she's not very good at moments of stress, and that's been shown time and time through the books. But then what they did that was a disservice is there was no potions riddle for her to solve in the movie. God, the po oh, since we're on the potions riddle, that it, it was always my favorite. <laughs> of, that was honestly my favorite of them because as, as a kid, I loved riddles and I always tried to solve them whenever I saw them in books. Like That's right. the reason why in The Hobbit, the riddles in the dark is the greatest scene ever written in, in, in book history because... It's just um, <clears throat> Bilbo and and uh, Gollum just doing riddles, and you can figure them out. It pisses right. me off in the book, though. <laughs> and I, I might have noticed this when I was a kid, but going back through, you cannot figure out this puzzle. She does not give you enough information to actually <laughs> figure it out on your own. Like I actually spent like maybe 20 minutes before like turning the page because I wanted to figure it out. I was like, I'm not going to let the book tell me how it's done. I want to figure it out on my own. <laughs> but then I went through it and I was like, there's no way to know it. And I looked it up online, making sure I wasn't the only one. And they're like, yeah, basically some person created a whole article about it and trying to figure out if you can actually figure it out. But in the end, I think there's like potentially eight or so possibilities that it could be. Just basically the whole lineup of which drink is which. Uh, whether it's the wine, the poison, or the actual potion. It pisses me off that J.K. Rowling doesn't give you enough information to figure it out. No, I definitely can see that. But yeah, I think the fact that she didn't have her own puzzle 
I mean, I guess they made her shine more with the devil snare, so maybe that was their way of making up for Hermione figured out something. Um, they did handle wizard's chest very well. I thought that was beautifully done. Oh, yeah. And I actually recently saw a really cool tattoo um, that was of one of the wizard's chest pieces, and it looked pretty sick. Damn, I might have to... Send send me a picture. I gotta I gotta find that. I'll, I gotta um, see that. I got you. <laughs> Since going back to the devil's snare, it bothers me in the movie when she does the the trick to you know create the sunlight, because in the book it's fire, and which is also a nice nudge to Hermione already using the fire on Snape's cloak at the Quidditch match. Well, I think they had to change it because they changed the actual rhyme from the book. Uh, the rhyme yeah. wasn't good in the book, but so they changed it to Devil Snare, Deadly Fun, but Sulks in the Sun. That's it. Devil Snare hates sunlight. So because they changed it, I guess they had to change what spell it was. But yeah. I, I, I get what you mean. I mean, to be fair, she does know a lot of spells already because she's brilliant. But it, yeah, I can see how that would be a really cool tie-in of this is... A test of all you've learned this year but also so the friend I watched this with pointed out that if three first years got through this whole thing it wasn't very good but yeah I also thought well to be fair they are three very well suited kids like you can't have said any other three students at Hogwarts would have gotten through as well um, well, also, but maybe she did write herself into a neat little corner of, oh, I've already talked about them being good at this. So maybe she kind of had the aim in mind and then wrote some of the plot around it of, I'm going to show them being good at this. So when you get here, you're not surprised. Right. I think also when they set up the traps, they were thinking of only one person going through it. And so you kind of don't have the help of others. You'd have to have all the knowledge on your own. Just They just so happen to have the qualities, at least from Dumbledore's perspective and all of the other professors that were sort of keeping an eye over it, they never thought that it would be more than one person actually going through it. That's because they didn't expect the power of friendship. It's, for example, in the movie, uh, when they get to the wizard chest scene, the pieces are already empty for them. And in the book... They have to, they, Ron chooses for them which pieces to pick. And I think it's actually a strong point when Ron, and I, I'm assuming she knew that Ron and Hermione were going to end up together. He puts her over in the queen's side rook, which is pretty much the safest spot you could be in. Aww. It kind of shows that he already had feelings for her. In the movie, the spots are already kind of empty and he kind of just chooses. Uh, and the knight already happened to not be on the horse, so Ron got on it. But I think in the book, the knight steps down from it to allow Ron to sit on the horse. See, and that also doesn't make sense because unless you're saying magic empty three spots, if you're expecting one person to go through these challenges, you wouldn't have three empty places. Right, exactly. So do you want to address... So I'm not ragging on it too much. There are some definite pros to how the movie handled certain things. For example, you know, the scene where Harry is trying to... Well, I don't know if he's trying to fall asleep, but everyone else is asleep and they're on at the hut on the rock. He's sitting there thinking about how he's almost 11. And it's well done in the book, but in the movie they have this added kind of heartbreaking detail of himself drawing a birthday cake in the dust on the floor and that was just so touching and i really enjoyed that detail that was one of the things that i really liked as well since i feel like the, in the movie they rushed the beginning part i do think it was smart that when they went to dudley's birthday they didn't have the other kid in the car with them because kind of would be stupid to establish another character because it's supposed to be the other kid noticed that harry was talking to the snake and then he says something in the car on the drive back home, and that's when Harry gets punished. But one issue I had about that, though, is... I'm not remembering other ways that they do it, but I feel like the movie makes the Dursleys less terrible. And I agree. One point was that Harry's not supposed to go to the zoo, and he's kind of a last-minute crap, no-one-can-watch-him addition. Whereas in the movie... 
you know, Dudley wakes him up by saying, wake up, cousin, we're going to the zoo. And he's stomping. I mean, the stomping on the stairs was a really nice touch because, of course you would, you little shit. But, and also they established the neighbor, Mrs. Norris, which is good to mention her and her cats and the fact that she always watches Harry and she's so boring because otherwise in the movies when she shows up in the fifth book after the Dementor attack, you know, she's established as, even though a small character early on, she's not an entirely foreign person to just be like, oh, I've known you my whole life and you never told me you were aware of the wizarding world. But then she's just not mentioned in this first movie. And if you're trying to, you know, make some sort of cohesive story, you should bring her up. I completely agree. And in the book, it establishes better how abusive the Dursleys are when he Harry goes to Miss Norris. I think in the book it says it's like the only time he gets to actually choose what channel to watch on the TV or something like that. I can't remember what it is, but it's sort of the one moment Harry gets to do something he wants to do. Well, he's bored at Mrs. Norris's. It's when they, he was hoping they would leave and he'd be alone in the house so he could choose what he watches because it was just so much better for him to be home alone, which, yeah, that did make sense. And I mean, you know, I mean, other small things, I really liked Dudley getting actually stuck behind the glass in the movie. Mm -hmm. That was just kind of a fun cinematic moment of him banging on the wall one thing I miss is how they were supposed to actually drive him to the station. So, oh, that's another gripe. All right. Let's say, for whatever reason, the Dursleys are just having this conversation of, oh, where are we going? We're old. It makes more sense in the book for Hagrid to take him to get all of his school supplies in Diagon Alley and then take him back home. And then it makes sense that maybe, you know, Hagrid's forgetful and didn't tell him how to get to the platform. But in the movie, it's all happening at the same time where, okay, you've gotten your stuff. Now go get on your train. And he just leaves him, and no one tells him where to go. And that kind of seemed a little dumber in the movie that you were right there with him. You could have said something, but instead you're just doing a disappearing Batman act. And you're like, figure it out, Harry. I completely agree. What is it? In the movie, it's just sort of like Hagrid just touches where he placed the Sorcerer's Stone. He's like, oh yeah, Dumbledore needs me. All right, goodbye, kid. I'm so, on that just, Hogwarts business, which he likes to mention about five times. Which is so stupid because it's like Hagrid was there to protect Harry and make sure he got through all this stuff safe and shown him around. Yeah, I think you make a strong point there that it, it's absolutely stupid that they sort of just make Hagrid do the whole Batman act and just disappear. But that's magic for you. I don't know. It, I, I feel like that kind of hurts Hagrid's character in a slight way that it's like, all right, this kid who is supposedly the most famous and most important kid in the entire fucking world, I'm just going to leave him alone at this last moment. And one thing I did realize, I've been trying to see the ways that she's dropping little foreshadowing hints. And I think she does it in some obvious ways and some really clever ways. And so there's a big point that people have realized over time, which is that Ron actually mentions a lot of things that are ironic foreshadowing, where sometimes he didn't actually realize what he was saying, but it ends up being true. So for example, when they're first learning about the break-in at Gringotts, Ron says, everyone gets concerned when something like this happens in case you know who is behind it. And then of course, that is what happens. So I like to look at the ways Ron has these peppered in insights. Another thing is Harry has a dream about Professor Quirrell unraveling his turban and it's a nightmare, but we don't really know why. And then obviously, of course, you know, we realize for some reason he's got Voldemort's face on him. And then one I really loved is in chapter 13, Harry said sometimes he had the horrible feeling that Snape could read minds. And that's actually a really cool bit of foreshadowing to when they're doing all the don't let Voldemort break inside your mind training later. I thought that was cool. But then the biggest one to me is the sorting hat wanting to place Harry and Slytherin. And I'm realizing now, I honestly just hadn't thought about it in a long time. It's likely because of the Horcrux that the sorting hat is seeing this predilection towards Slytherin. And that's, that is kind of cool. A whole, uh, there's probably fan, enough fan fiction out there, but what if, what if Harry was sorted into Hufflepuff, and you know nothing 
Nothing crazy ever happened. And he and Cedric Diggory start the epic relationship of the century. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> I did read some really bad Harry and Draco fan fiction that... Is it like Harry, it just wasn't Draco, well written. Veronica? Yes. And um, don't get me wrong. You can write good fan fiction erotica. This was not it. Again, you know, I think the audience needs a bit of buildup if you're going straight to butt sex from the first chapter and then it's 10 t- chapters of different ways they're having butt sex it's like this is losing intrigue very quickly <laughs> just in case people thought our podcast was going to be for children it is not this is the adult interpretation no holds barred <laughs> erotica approved but all right biggest gripe with the story yeah and this is the book this is going to the source material again my friend brought this up and anthony he said he's fine with me saying his name a very good point was, if Dumbledore had so cleverly designed the Mirror of Eris said that you could only acquire the stone if you did not actually want to use it, then the whole plotline of them going down there was useless, because Quirrell couldn't have gotten the stone without Harry being there. Well, and he would have just been stuck down there trying to figure out this mirror and failing. Which I guess so. I guess it was good because Quirrell got outed. Um... Yeah, I think that's more of the point, because Quirrell could have just left and no one would have known. That's a good point. But then, you know, at the end, Slytherin's up ahead in points, and we can argue about that. And again, of course, this is a fault of the book as well as Slytherin's evil and they don't deserve to win, which, okay, chill. But at the same time... They're looking forward to winning. They're at the damn feast, and they think they have it in the bag, and they're so happy. And then Dumbledore's like, but, 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 let's take some events into account. And then these kids that, by all accounts, broke out of their bed, so many rules, did the very thing you're not supposed to do, get massively rewarded. Poor Neville, trying to prevent them getting in trouble, gets these measly 10 points. Harry gets 10 points more than Hermione and Ron just to show that he's Harry Potter. Cool. (laughs) I don't know. It was just... I love it, but it was the most simplistic because it's very... They broke the rules. It all turned out okay. They did this mad rush to quarrel. Love ended up solving all because, you know... I mean, I understand. It was the youngest age, you know, intended audience, but just... But your mom's love is what saved you. I mean, it was a very easy deus ex machina explanation of things. Yeah, but love is the greatest magic of all. Isn't that what Interstellar told me? You know what? I'll stand by Interstellar because that movie's beautiful. Uh, I have my I have my gripes. Too bad it wasn't a book. I mean, no, definitely gripes to be had, but it is a beautiful movie. I'm just going to make my point. Memento's Nolan's best film. I'm... I don't care what anyone says. Memento is still Nolan's best film. But but the McConaughey Renaissance, I mean, that has to be factored in. It was a beautiful thing to have happened. I mean, it was great, but Memento's still better. I mean, I'm with you. Uh, but anyways, back yeah, to I mean, Harry Potter. Back to Harry Potter. Um, I mean, um, they're they're strong and again i really enjoyed going back to them i i'm glad i did i'm really interested to see how the complexities develop now that i'm reading them more analytically and less for fun and older because i haven't reread them in years so and also this reminds me um in the scene when they're doing the trials and harry's on the broomstick whatever and they open the door when all the keys are chasing them because they need a super crazy uh chasing when they open the door there is clearly a door right behind them and so when harry basically dives in with his broomstick he would have smashed right into that wall (laughs) at the speed he was going and probably broken his fucking neck and then we would have no more harry potter So in the Harry film, should have died. End Harry it now. Have died. Pack Hashtag it up. Harry We're not covering. <laughs> <laughs> but also, 
can we talk about the fact that the keys didn't need to be chasing him because they're just darting away really quickly in the book and that is interesting enough because again she set it up he's good with the snitch he's good with the keys but yeah instead they're just these murderous daggers in the movie just coming to spear you alive i mean uh, my theory behind that is it was easier to animate all those different keys in that way. Plus, also, you know, people need need excitement. You know, you can't go five minutes without you know something crazy. You gotta happening. get the people going. When they attack Harry, he doesn't even get cut up, and it's like those are metal keys attacking him. Have scratches all over him. He's got some, but again, they're very Hollywood scratches that don't make people look worse. So. Oh, he's got a little cut on his cheek. <laughs> and I think on his hand, you know, for good measure. I mean, okay, one other thing I'm really curious to observe this time mm-hmm. is I think the movies do dumb Ron down a bit to where I think it's influenced the way I remember Ron. And I still don't think Ron and Hermione are a great pairing. And I mean, she's admitted oh. herself she's not the best at writing relationships and that one would probably not make that much sense going back but there are good ones like Fleur and Bill I think that one's beautifully done and the movies don't show a lot of the intricacies of their dynamic but again that's for future books but I am curious to see if I have definitely written Ron off remembering the movie version of him and if I like him better rereading it and that's kind of an issue when they start making films while the books are still going on because when i first read harry potter i think i read like the first two books before the the movie came out and i had a different picture of the characters in my head and then once i started reading the next books i wanted to sort of visualize the movie versions of them sort of you know to keep it the same so sort of my own imagery went to the back end of my mind and allowed the visual actors on a screen to take over, which is kind of, in my opinion, a harming thing when it comes to movies because that's what makes great books so great is we can all have a different depiction of characters and things. And once a movie's coming out, and especially if a movie's coming out while an entire book series is coming on, the movie kind of influences everyone's depiction of what they're reading. That's fair. I mean, as a person that doesn't picture faces too well, I don't mind too much, and I did think the casting was very good for these movies. I mean, I don't really find fault with any of it. Maybe, you know, we can talk about whether they're well-directed later on, Um, like the famous lack of chemistry between Ginny and Harry, but... That's for, again, a future episode, but the casting itself is good. Yeah. Um, So I don't mind that too, too much. The way that they might modify the characters, I agree. And, but if we are talking about media really screwing up source material, you know, Game of Thrones will have to get brought up. (laughs) Well, to be fair. Because they they really butchered that. (laughs) I mean, they butchered it, but I mean, I was smart to stop watching after the fifth season. But yeah, it, don't don't do that to yourself. You don't have to finish. I'm not going. I'm not going to. I I, I one, once I got past the fifth season, I was like, there is a little bit of a quality issue going on now, and I kind of noticed it. And I was like, I'm just don't care anymore. But that's what ha- like that's what happens when you start a, a visual media. That's not like the first time it's happened. It's happened a lot with anime. I mean, you've got a good point. I can see from even the author's perspective, if you can get more people into your work because, you know, the movies are, they're easier to market. So I don't think Harry Potter would have gotten as big as quickly if the movies didn't also come out. Because I do know a lot of people that just saw the movies and didn't read the books. And I mean, yeah, they're wrong and they should read some more. But I think that's part of what built it into such a phenomenon. The movies turned the magic into reality, so it um, it definitely helped the series, and it definitely helped J.K. Rowling, I, I presume. True. Oh, and At then least monetary Disney. wise. 
you know, Disney making it a park, which I still haven't been to. Uh, you wrong. know, that's what's that's sad. Universal. Uh, I'm sorry. My bad. It's in the Disney epicenter area, but um, it's funny. I got my mom somehow into reading these books when she was in her 30s, and she just thought they were so fun. And so she and my dad went to Harry Potter World without me, even though I introduced her to this. But then she was nice enough to get me a wand, and I was like, did you get me a boring wand? And she's like, don't you think I know my own daughter? And it was that bony-looking Voldemort wand. And I was like, yes, you do know your daughter. This is awesome. So I have the Voldemort replica wand. So do we need to do an entire uh, therapy episode about why your parents hate you for not taking you to Harry Potter World? (laughs) I'm going to call them live on this podcast and say, why do you hate me and didn't take me to Harry Potter World? Yeah, that's that's rough. Because I live near Orlando, I think I've been there either two or three times. So when we're done with all of these episodes on Harry Potter, we have to go take a trip to Harry Potter World. Ooh, I am down. I am so down. And then we make an intermediate, how did we feel about Harry Potter World as an adaptation of the source material? I mean, is Universal open right now? (laughs) Oh, God, that's a good point. I mean, can we sneak in? Turn Turn the lights all on? Harry Potter World is now ours. So the Urban Explorer version of our podcast will be coming to you later this year where we break into a bunch of places we're not supposed to go during quarantine. Oh yeah, we're going to do it live. We're going to do it on Twitch. We're going to do it on Twitch and you can see it live. Yeah, so the cops know exactly where to find us. That's a great idea. No, Twitch is like Twitch is like 30 seconds behind, so it works out. We have a 30 second head start. We're swift and nimble. We're good. We just have to be really, really fast. At the, the very last trial with the mirror, he, he goes and he grabs Harry, knocks him down, but he grabs him by the neck. Isn't that the issue where Harry's, he's touching Harry's flesh so it burns him? Yeah, that should so, be. So, yeah, that happened. Way to go, movie. Well, yeah, they changed it to it's Harry touching him, which, right. I'm sorry, skin contact, skin contact. Yeah. And Quirrell didn't leave room for the Holy Spirit, so that's why his flesh is burning off. So be accurate, movie. Yeah, exactly. So, that's a sign to all of us, don't touch anyone, you'll burn, (laughs) keep the social distancing alive. Until you get married, and then it stops burning. Then you're just bored. And you're reading Harry Potter erotica because that's the only thing that gets you excited anymore. Now I just need to find a girl with nice long black hair that's greasy, have her dress up as Snape. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ten She's so obsessed from with Gryffindor. you. <laughs> Oof, that gets me She's going. like, what's your favorite animal? And then replicates your favorite animal on all of their decorations. That's basically what Snape did. Sorry, I'm gonna chill. We're gonna get to Snape. Snape's fine. But stop wanting someone to love you like Snape, because Snape was a bit extra. You can have a more realistic view of love than someone who's obsessed with you, even long after you die, and treats your son like shit because it was with another man. Yeah, very true. Snape uh, couldn't get over himself. He thought he was better than he actually was. I mean, he's pretty great, but, you know. I mean, he's a double agent who ultimately does the right thing and kills Dumbledore because Dumbledore asked him nicely. I mean, not to belittle that. It is really dope, but. Yeah. Yeah. Now you just spoiled that for everyone. For everyone that was reading the <laughs> Harry Potter books while we were. Snape kills Dumbledore, guys. <laughs> oh, gosh. My friend Ooh. did do that to me. Because she didn't even read Harry Potter, but she heard Ooh. that online because everyone was spreading it. Ooh. So you're no longer friends, right? We don't really talk, no. This wasn't that the main sense. reason, but it was one of a couple. <laughs> 
That should be the only reason. <laughs> no, I bear her no ill will. We're good. Yeah, I was lucky that I didn't hear it. I also think I read that last book and like, or the that that was the sixth book, but it's pretty sure I read that book in like a day or two. Back in the days when you could be a kid and just read the entire day, which you know is not much different oh, yeah. than right now. So. Eh. I mean, the first book, I remember when I first got it, I started and stopped because I didn't, it didn't quite catch me yet, and it had gotten to the point where they're at the house on the rock, and then I picked it up again, and Hagrid comes in, and I'm like, wait, this, this does get really interesting, and then I got really hooked on them, but yeah, by the last books, I mean, I remember the final one, I was sitting there at the pool with my mom, and she's like, aren't you gonna, like enjoy yourself and I'm like no it's the last Harry Potter book I'm going to keep reading and I was like and you're reading it after me so you should want me to hurry <laughs> she's like good point so can you now write a fan fiction where Hagrid never gets Harry they keep on moving he never catches up to them Harry never goes to Hogwarts and he lives a really really boring life ends up become like working in a in a uh, at a tool store selling tools and that's that's what harry potter is he's just a tool man harry potter the tool man no he becomes this really um sh poorly treated sort of assistant at grunnings where uncle vernon works and it's uncle vernon and dudley running the show and they just make harry fetch their coffee and they throw stuff at him forever <laughs> uh now that's a book Um, yeah, so next one, if Lemony Snicket wrote Harry Potter, how would it go? <laughs> but um, I did, rewatching the movie, so after that long Quidditch scene where Harry does catch the snitch and he's triumphant, I was thinking, that's the moment where everyone's cheering for him and he actually feels like an important kid. That's the part where he wakes up and he's still in the cupboard under the stairs. <laughs> and that would be the roughest place. <laughs> uh, that would be great. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to make a fan edit of the film. <laughs> Let's, and just, just have it be like that. That would be fantastic. No, just make it a loop of he gets to the Quidditch, you know, victory, and then that's when Dudley is stopping on the stairs, wake up cousin, and then it just keeps looping for 10 hours on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> and you put Tiptoe Through the Tulips in the background, because that was another thing I was sad the movie didn't add. It's Uncle Vernon singing Tiptoe Through the Tulips as he's boarding up the mail slot. Um, but would Uncle so yeah. Vernon sing that song? What? Is that out of character for Uncle Vernon? No. That's such a silly song. I mean, yeah, but again, her point was that even the serious characters have silly moments like all humans do. I mean, even if you're a very intense, self-important person, you have to have some moments or you'll just explode where you're a little whimsical. And that was... Uncle Vernon's. <laughs> you don't get many others, but... Uh, that's true, I guess. Uh, yep. So yeah, that was a good, it's a good recap. Um, if anyone yeah. ever actually listens, we're, we're gonna hopefully do, you know, we're gonna cover the rest of Harry Potter. And, and then we'll do um, some other stuff, yeah. Yeah, we have a massive Google Doc of future projects that we keep adding to, and I don't know where we're going to start on it, but if you, again, if we have people listening who have suggestions, that would be great. Um, I'm sure our style will be a little less chaotic in the future, but no promises, because this was also fun, and I mean, we covered good material, so I'm happy. Uh, I think we, we both thrive in chaos, so it's probably going to stay chaotic. We do. So in the future, equal amounts of chaos... Sometimes maybe alcohol. Who knows? Stay tuned. More, more erotica mentions. 
uh, more of my cats meowing in the background. I don't think it happened too much this time around, but it will happen. And so if you don't like cats, get the fuck away from our podcast. Feels strange to be going home, doesn't it? I'm not going home. Not really. <laughs>